In the Killer Histories Big Match series, I have the pleasure of speaking with some of Kilmarnock FC's iconic players. We discuss a match which is particularly special to them, and then look at their career in a bit more detail. In this episode, it was an honour to spend some time with Bobby Ferguson. In a three-year Kilmarnock career, he did it all. League champion, European semi-finalist, and Scotland's first-choice goalkeeper. From a family of Kilmarnock fans, we talk about personal significance of his success, and we look back at his career, from catching balls on Cannon Hill to facing down Pele. April 24th, 1965 is arguably the most significant date in Kilmarnock's history. Four second place finishes since the turn of the decade, Kelly faced a last day title decider at League Leaders Hearts. A minimum of a two goal victory was required. I'm Gordon Gillen and this is Bobby Ferguson's Big Match. Bobby Ferguson's classic Kilmarnock match was only the 8th of his career and featured the most famous save and shutout in the club's 150-year history. The save which ensured that Kilmarnock would be 1965 league champions on goal average. I asked him for his abiding memory of the 24th of April, 1965. The one that I got um, sticks the best is just driving up to the the game. Because, I mean, there was 36,000 there, and there were 36,000 there like two hours before the match. You seldom seen that, and it was was jam-packed solid. So we thought, hey, this is this is a bit, this will be a bit good. And my old granddad, he was there, so I was hoping it'd end okay for him, which it did, because he came, he come from Holford, so uh, he supported Kamala forever and a day. So that was good for him being there. But mainly that day was just driving up on in the coach, and Jesus, it was it was mob before you know two hours before the match. So we thought, well, it's got to be a good atmosphere at least. And your granddad will have seen several second-place finishes, cup finals. Yeah, yes, all that. Uh, we went to a couple of them as well, him and I. But uh, well, he got he got one before he died, so that was good. So McAnally, McLean, the beautiful one straight as a ball. Well, when he first arrived, we thought he was too clever for us, mate, because he was a very good player, Debbie. And he, I, think he, I think it was about 29 when we first uh, when he first arrived at Comano. And we thought, gee, this, he's, this guy's a good player. You know, so, and he was. He, obviously, he, he proven it. 1965 was as much about solid defending as it was goal scoring. It was great, man. So we had a good defence then, because Big Jackie, Jackie went for 
he took all the high stuff up in the middle, just coming over, and big and big Frank sort of cleaned up round about him. You know, and it was the same at West Ham, but we needed a big centre half, which we did now. And Bobby Moore cleaned up round about. So if we could have got Jack McGrory down to West Ham, <laughs> we'd have done a lot better than we did when I was there. Uh, but no, Jackie was good, good centre half, solid. Him and Frank worked great together because Frank read, you know, he knew where Jack was going and he always covered Jackie great. And the, the two of them worked at Fabulous at the back. That's great. Yeah, good player, Jack. What about those two dynamic forwards who linked up so brilliantly, Bertie Black and Brian McElroy? Oh, Bernie, oh, yeah, God. He, he was, he's a good lad, Bernie, yeah, um, sharp as a tack. I remember once we came back from a game, a reserve game somewhere, and all the buses from Kilmarnock to Drossen had gone, and uh, Walter McRae wouldn't. Wasn't very happy paying up the £1.50 for a, for, a, for a taxi, so Bertie ran me. Bertie lived in Cumnock, so he went 14, 15 miles the other way. And came back and then came home. So he, he drove me back, which was, he, he barely was a good lad. He's, he's a very good little player. But sharp, yeah, quick. Remember. Yeah, nice, nice guy, a nice man, man. Stedham, Bertie Black. Still Black. Much the same with Bertie. Very, very sharp around the box and uh, always, you know, friendly and happy. And that's such a, both of them were very much, you know, much the same sort of character. Uh, got two good guys, nice guys. Died too young. Now, now the dressing room was fabulous back then, mate. It was, a good, it was a good squad. Pat O'Connor was my little best mate there, so Pat and I went holiday a couple of times. But it was, it was, it was good. That was great. And the whole, the whole, you know, the whole three years I was there was like that. Everybody was, it was terrific. You know, we used to arrange dinner dances. We used to go to the races, take a wives, and yeah, it was, it was fabulous. Good team spirit then, mate. Absolutely great. How were you treated as a young player, uh, relatively young compared to the rest of the squad? How were you treated joining that first team squad? I, I was part time up till I was 21. I was an apprentice engineer. I did engineering. I did that for five years. They got just, you know, became a qualified fitter turner. But so I, I didn't see the first team much. Tuesdays and Thursdays I trained and I saw them on Saturdays. But uh, when I was 21, I went full time. But mate, I was treated like everybody else. It's. Um, you know, that's because you're younger. Don't mean you you go and pick up the boots and clean the boots. So no, that's I was a professional. I got afforded the same uh, treatment as everybody else, all the professionals. So no, that's fine. No, no, there's no difference, mate. None at all. I asked Bobby to reflect on that famous season in October 1964. He filled in against Hibbs when first choice goalkeeper Campbell Forsyth was on Scotland's duty. Later, he was handed the gloves permanently as the new number one, starting with a crucial match at Motherwell. But which of these two games was the more significant to him? Probably the first one, the Hibs, the game at Easter Road, that was the first, um, first team game. That was fine because all the family went there. Dad jumped all the uncles and cousins in the back of the car and drove from uh, Kilmano roughly around to Edinburgh. So I'll, I'll probably, the, probably that one would be the, you know, the good one. The, not, not the most important, but the one I enjoyed best or better. With Campbell being such a good goalkeeper. How did you feel personally to be given that opportunity? Yeah, well, I mean, you, 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 don't, you don't jump up. I mean, of course, I was, I was happy. Um, but uh, at the same time, you've got to remember, Campbell Versailles is a very good goalkeeper. When he played 28 of the 36 games that year, I only played the last eight, plus the Hibs one. Um, and uh, I think a lot of people forget that. But uh, obviously, happy to get a chance and happy to take it, Gordon. 
the same time, you know, especially now that you're finished, you realize everybody gets replaced sooner or later. At the time, you, you don't think of that. You just think, yeah, I'll have a whack at this and see how we go. The young goalkeeper impressed manager Willie Waddle on his debut against Hibs. Yeah, I was, I was still part-time then, so I didn't really see him on a daily basis. I always saw him on, on match days. But I remember the Hibs game, because uh, the first time I, I always wear two, a sweater under my, my goalkeeping sweater. And I came off and I was, I was sweating like, you know, crazy. He took he saw me and he said, what, you've been working, son? I said, oh, just a wee bit, boss. So he said, oh, thank God you did. So that was quite good. Quite good. Who are the toughest opponents Bobby Ferguson faced? Oh, yeah, all, all the Rangers team and all the Celtic team, right? yeah. <laughs> a lot of them. <laughs> Each and every one of them. <laughs> uh, not single players, uh, Gordon, but uh, it's when you start playing, you go to Ibrox and you think, Christ, you know, I'm here. So what's happening, you know? So the same was, you know, that Celtic Park at the time. I mean, people like uh, Billy McNeil and Gemmell and an old school friend of mine, Bobby Lennox. So you say, hang on a minute, this is, uh, this is, this is okay, you know, I'm enjoying this. <laughs> so but that, I wouldn't say any, any of them scared me, but it was great to play against them. Kilmarnock's reward for making it to the European Cup of 1965? A far from glamorous qualifying match in Tirana. Well, we're all looking, where the hell's Albania, you know, so we, we got there in the end. But I'll tell you a funny story about that. It's, there was 30,000 at the game, Gordon. And, you know, like 30,000 at any stadium, the car parts are full and everything else, but there's no cars there, mate. So it was like donkey park. There was 20,000 donkeys. And I'm serious. They came down from the hills because it was a bit uh, primitive back then. And there was 15 to 20,000 donkeys in a, in a car park, so to speak. I mean, we just couldn't believe it. It was, it was frightening. But uh, they made a bit, bit of a noise, but uh, not the donkeys, it's the crowd, but... Yeah, there was a the donkey park, not a car park. <laughs> that was that was a big memory. <laughs> I'm not surprised. No, no, <laughs> no, no, no that, that's a big one. Yeah. Uh, but another thing that did to us, mate, was uh, we when we got there, it was night time and it was pitch black. There was no street lights or anything, so it took us about two and a half hours to get to the hotel. But after and the ground was just next to the hotel, so but after the game, uh, it was twenty minutes to the airport. So they gave us a, a two and a half hour drive just to tire us up after we got there. A bit of, uh, a bit of uh, gamesmanship, if you want to put it that way. I've seen the atmosphere being described as hostile that night. Primitive. It's primitive. Or it was then. I'm not saying it is now, but it was then, mate. Totally primitive. <laughs> but uh, I'm, sure it's, I'm sure it's got a lot better, hopefully. I wouldn't want to do it again. However, that's it done. That was, that was, that was fun. We beat them 1-0 at Rugby Park. Donkeys disappearing in the rearview mirror, a game against the best side in Europe play in store. But was it seen as a dream draw or disappointing to face Real Madrid so early in the competition? That was fabulous, brilliant. Yeah, like we're going to play in the, you know, Madrid. Brilliant, it was great. Everybody loved it. Everybody loved it. And I didn't think many of us thought we were going to win, but that was irrelevant. So we, uh, we, no, we were all quite happy with that. Quite happy with that. What was the team's approach to taking on Real Madrid? How do you take on Real Madrid? Well, I mean, at home, at Rugby Park, we thought we'd you know, a decent chance. Uh, there we got thumped after Brian McElroy scored, you know, first 10 minutes or so, then we got Wallop 5-1. But uh, I mean, they'd won the, the European Cup as it was then. I think they won it five times before that, that, that season. So, And they did win it that season as well. So we, we weren't expecting to, to beat them, to be honest. But, you know, it was great to be there and play in Madrid, play in a big stadium. It was fabulous, fabulous. 
would your memory of that first leg in particular be that that you matched the team matched Real Madrid? I think we did, Golden. I think we did. Um, but my my biggest memory with that was playing against Pushkas. But I came across him when I came to uh, to Australia. He was coaching a team well, somewhere in Sydney or something like that. So I actually caught up with him again and said hello and shook his hand and everything else. So it's because just said you know played against you before, Matt and blah blah blah, as all players do. So it's nice, but the, the actual game at Rugby Park, don't remember too much about it, to be honest. Just to give us half a chance in Spain, so you, you go with that. I've seen a photo of Puskas outside Rugby Park, and he was mobbed. He was a major star, wasn't he? Oh, absolutely, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, Di Stefano were, you know, two of the, two of the great, great hitters, you know, so it was fabulous, great. We paused our chat about the iconic Kilmarnock matches of the 1960s to talk about Bobby's approach to goalkeeping. What were, the, what were the circumstances that led to you choosing that specialist position? Okay, fair enough. It's a good question. When I was about five or six or seven, I used to play up in a... It's called the Cannon Hill in a Drossen, and it's a hill. There's a castle on it, so everything slopped away. And we used to play there, and the ball was always running out of the road and everything else. So I used to dive and catch it a few times. All my teammates at the time, you know, the four-year-old, the five or six or seven-year-old, say, right, you're a good diver. You playing goals because you can save us running after the ball. So that was that was that was the start of it, mate. I stayed there ever since. <laughs> That's true, believe it or not. <laughs> well, I believe it. <laughs> I, 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 I do wonder if if that's a similar story for a lot of goalkeepers. Could be, mate. Yeah, it could be. I don't know because we couldn't play out in the field, but we were stuck in goals. You know, so that was it. <laughs> Who were the goalkeepers he admired and studied to develop his own game? Lev Yashin, the big Russian goalkeeper. He was six foot eight and, you know, arms 25 feet wide, but never caught a cross. He punched everything. He never caught, I never saw him catching one cross. He, he used to come up and punch everything out to the halfway line. And I thought, oh, well, that's probably a good tactic, mate, if you can do that. So I tried, I, you know, I, I practiced that. So, so I think I punched more than a cock. So, but, uh, Press weren't too happy with that, so they said he couldn't catch him. I said, wasn't trying to catch him, I tried to punch the damn things. But that, that'd be the only one. There's no, no, there's no, uh, I didn't have any sort of idol. I, I tried to follow him up. How do you stay as a goalkeeper focused during a match? Ah, yeah, good question. Uh, good question. And Ron Greenwood, the manager at West Ham, says that was a problem I had. Uh, it's difficult to concentrate, as you say, when the ball's up there for 15, 20 minutes and you're thinking, oh, Jesus, no. I've only touched the ball twice. So, And you, you, as soon as you do that, you, it's, it's crazy. You've got to be 100%. I, used to, I just used to uh, make myself concentrate. Some guys did it easy. I found it difficult to do. But uh, you, you learn how to do it, and you have to do it. You set yourself halfway line, make sure your defenders where they are where they should be. Um, that, was, that was a good way of, you know, of um, concentrating, just making sure that your defence is where they should be at all times. Even when you've gone forward, you know, your, your fullbacks, they just can't go you know, willingly up there. They've got to be covered or you've got to be covered for them as well. So that, that was the way to do it. But, um, yeah, it's um, something you've got to do, mate. You've got to concentrate, obviously, work it out. Coming into the, the team as a 19, 20-year-old, how did you find it to be giving those kind of instructions to a Frank Beatty, a Matt Watson? Experience had to, had to, had to. Just had, you know, the old, the old cliche, you're the boss of the goal area, that's it, penalty area, that's mine. It's still the same, it still should be the same. No, it still is the same. That's, that's my area, 
I'm the boss in there. If you don't like it, I don't care. Do what I tell you, then it's my fault if it goes wrong. Simple as that. The Kilmarnock team of 1966-67 made it to the Fairs Cup, now Europa League, semi-final. How did a provincial Scottish club manage to achieve this? We seemed to be extremely fit due to Walter McRae's uh, training regime and we always scored more goals in the second half. Even in, even in that European game, we, we always, uh, you know, it wasn't ended until the end. And we did, we did very well just to, you know, I think we won a few games well into the second half from memory. And then we went to Leeds and I remember Walter and uh, Malcolm saying that um, the penalties, Johnny, Johnny Giles takes the penalties and here's where he stands, here's where he puts it. And they got a penalty and I went the right way, but I, I, I half hit it, but I, I couldn't stop it, which might have been better if I could have done. But, uh, but uh, they, I'd say they got us in the end. So, you know, fair goals, you can't win them all. It's very interesting for, for a football fan in tactical development and game preparation, you, yep. you were prepared to know which way the penalty might be hit. I've, I've done it all my life. When I went to West Ham, I, you know, believe it or not, I had a fan club. It was just a little thing. But I, I wrote to them and said, look, every penalty you see, write down who takes it, write down where he stands before he kicks it, and write down where he places it. And I used to just grab that for playing against one of the guys as a penalty, it was his team, you know, he takes a penalty. I, I, I remember. So that's the type of thing you do. You know, it's as simple as that. It's just, just preparation for work. Would it be fair then to, to suggest, was it preparation for everything? Well, as, as best as I could, you know, as best as I could. And managers do the same. They, they prepare, you know, they have a look at it, uh, who you're playing and how they're playing and how they're playing at the moment and how you can, what, what damage they can do against you and what sort of damage you can do against them. So you work, you try to work it out, have a team talk, then a team plan. So and then you try and incorporate your plan on the pitch and uh, hopefully you come up. Not always, but sometimes it works. A valiant effort at Ellen Road resulted in a 4-2 defeat in the first leg of the semi-final. Kelly fell short in the return as Leeds blocked out the Ayrshire side, holding on for a 0-0 draw. I know it's a different perspective for a goalkeeper as opposed to an outfield player, yeah. but yeah. how tough physically, tactically, would that Leeds team have been to play against? Quite infamous oh, in their own way. Yeah, they were. They were tough physically because you knew for the first 10 minutes they are going to kick the hell out of you. Because back then the referees never booked anybody in the first 10 minutes. <laughs> Believe it or not, that was how we thought. But uh, no, no, they, were, they, were, they were a tough side, a very good side though. Bram, he was, Billy was a good, he's a good, uh, good leader. And Norman Hunter, I believe, just died last week, a week before Norman. He was a good player and Big Jackie was there. And uh, Johnny Giles, he was, a, Johnny Giles was a bit of a, I wouldn't say hard player, but a little bit dirty-ish, you know, a wee bit like that, feet up, things like that. But no, they're a good side, mate, they're a good hard side. But again, you, you know your first 10 minutes, you're going to get some stick. But you, you knew that, so you prepared for it. So it's, it's you know, forewarned as forearmed. How does a team react to losing a European semi-final? Um, it's, it's a case of what might have been, Gordon, you know. So you're one step away from a, a final. And there's not too many people who can say we've played in a, a European final. Like, you know, the Fairs or Fairs Cup or um, European Cup as it used to be. So, yeah, it could have been. wasn't there, but... What do you do? So you, you know, let the game at hearts. If we'd have got beaten, at least we played for the championship. But we won it. So you win one, you lose some, mate. So, no, uh, I, I don't think it. We won't get up crying or anything like that. We, we gave it our best. Not good enough. But that, what do you do? That's it. Next, next week comes on. Start again. 
Fine goalkeeping by Ferguson foils the Welsh. He throws the ball to John Gregg, and that astonishing right-back repeats what he did against Italy two weeks before. And Wales can do nothing about it. Well-deserved victory for Scotland, 4-1. Yeah, I remember it. That, the four, that was the game at Hamden, was it? Yep. 4-1, four, four, yeah, I think? Yeah. Yep, yep. That was, um, yeah, that was the first one I played. That was at Hamden in November 65, yeah. Now that you brought it up, I do remember that. Yes, yes. Brilliant. Brilliant. My old mum and dad, and I think my mum's only seen one game, it was that game. She didn't know where it was. But she couldn't understand why I was playing for Scotland and the team wasn't kicking the ball at me, they were kicking it up the other end. She never, she, she didn't know. <laughs> She'd never been to a game. So that was, uh, that was her, that was her uh, debut at, uh, at football, mate, but uh, it was fabulous. I loved it. I loved it. He got to it. Is it something that you took in your stride? Because you came into a league-winning team at an early age, made your Scotland debut at yeah. an early age. Did it feel like a natural progression for you? Were you a bit overawed? No, no, I wasn't overawed. That's um, you, you, you pick you, you play. It's as simple as that. If they think you're good enough, fine. I, I, I didn't go around thinking, oh, I'm the best goalkeeper in Scotland. I just thought, oh, they pick me, so I, I go play. Of course, you played against Brazil. Are there any yep. other special moments playing for your country? The one in Wales, God, when the Abbott Van disaster, because we were there that weekend, and um, they nearly put, nearly uh, cancelled the game. But uh, when you hear like forty thousand Welshmen singing, you know the Welsh, the, the Welsh national anthem. I know it's not soccer related, but it was just the atmosphere of the whole thing and the circumstances in which they were singing it. Uh, when 100, 125 kids died or something like that, it was touch moving, mate. A bit, bit moving. A bit moving. It's, it's strange. It's the, nobody ever jumps out of your skin, you know, because it pick you. It's a great honour, but it's another game. You know, it's just it's a game. Um, and if you start getting wound up and everything else, that's not going to do you any good, mate. Normal normality is much much better than that. Much better. I am the proud owner of several programs from the International Soccer League of the 1960s. I broached the subject with Bobby, hoping to increase their value. From your memory, was it seen as something prestigious, or was it seen as, oh, for goodness' sake, we've just finished a long season? Yeah, that second. Yeah, just what you said there. No, it was it was no good, mate. It was terrible. Um, we'd finished a long season, uh, took about 15 hours to get there. We a little aeroplane, we went oh, Reykjavik or somewhere you know, up, up the Atlantic and down the bottom again. So had them all these games and oh man, it's horrible. Not good at all. No, nobody, nobody enjoyed it, mate. It was terrible. They're all friendlies. We were playing against them. Um, there was a Polish team, a Hungarian team and West Bromwich Albion. And that was it, you know, that was, it was nothing. It was spreading the gospel in New York. And all people who came to see it wasn't Americans, it was the Poles, the Hungarians, and the English, and the Scots, you know, so the converts already, so we didn't convert any. We didn't think it was that good, mate. Was it explained to the players, here's why it's important to go? No, no. It was just men, um, generally, we just uh, spread the gospel. We knew that, so it was fine. But that, that was it. The, um, that wasn't great. 
we played a game just before we left for the airport to come back to, to Scotland. And big Frank Beatty, somebody broke his nose in the first half. So <laughs> shouldn't laugh. But Frank spent the whole, you know, 12 hours with a towel under a bandage on it. So he didn't have the best trip in the world coming home, Frank. <laughs> he wasn't a happy man. <laughs> Sorry, but I got a laugh for that one. It was a good one. <laughs> so, so a complete waste of time and the captain ended up with a broken nose. Yeah, pretty much, yeah. Yeah, I'd agree with that. The expectation level that was maybe there in, in the 1960s, that, that classic team. Yeah, was, yeah. Was there an expectation level? Uh, from the fans, you mean? Yes. Well, you'd like to think so, because um, I think we came three twice, about three or four times, and uh, second in a couple, a couple of times, something like that. So, you know, they were due, they really were due some uh, reward for, for supporting the guys right through the 60s. Expectation, maybe. Uh, might be too big a word. Everybody expected Rangers or Celtic to win the league. They never expected Kamarnock or you know Clyde or England to win the league. So um, hope, hope rather than expectation. I think Gordon. The move to West Ham United, and from a career yeah. point of view, how yeah. significant was it to make that step? I always knew I was going to go there, not to West Ham, but to England. Don't ask me why. I just because uh, the teams had come sniffing around. In fact, Willie Waddle sounded me up once uh, when he left Colmarnock he went back to journalism and uh, we had a chat one day I think we were playing at Ibrox I think and he said come and talk to me what do you think of this and he told me uh, a little tale so I thought oh well, that's uh, okay uh, but no more came of that but that's all right but I always always thought I would I would like to go to England and play down there. I'm guessing that you took that move in your stride but you were still a young man moving to moving to London. Yeah, yeah, well, it's a big, it's a big, I mean, you move from 6,000 people in a drossum to 6 million there. It's, it's a massive, it's a massive jump. But the, the club made it, the club helps. They make sure you're okay. They've got good digs and the wages were good and everything else. And uh, they helped, they helped tremendously. West Ham, you know, the club, as I was saying, helped players. And that's not just me, it's for everybody who went there. Uh, and the, the, the guys were great as well because they had just finished winning the World Cup, so to speak, the three three West Ham players and the, and the English uh, 66 team. Thoroughly enjoyed it, mate. Your mind gets into the pace of the place, so that's, that's what you do. That's good. It's great. I loved it in the end. You played with the elite of English football. You played with them and against them. Yep. Is there any player that, that stands out for you that you think, I was really privileged to be on the field with that player? I'm looking at a photograph just up the stairs there, mate, and there's... So Bobby Moore, so Jeff Hurst, so Trevor Brooking, Jimmy Greaves, so Sean Connery, Clyde Best, they're, they're on the photograph, man. So it was a good company, Gordon. So it was a good company. That was the night we, we, we played in New York, September 70, I think. And it was only a, a one off. We played Santos, Pelly's team. So we had, we had a team photograph taken in the dressing room with, with Sean Connery. So we all thought we'd. We'll get a photograph taken with a man. Looking at the photograph, mate, there's four sirs in there and three MBEs and, you know, and that's just the team. That's <laughs> <laughs> how it was. <laughs> yeah. Tell me you kept out Pele. I did. I played against him twice, mate. He hasn't scored past me yet. He's still hoping, I think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We drew, I think we drew 1-1. One, one. Yeah, yeah. I've got a photograph of 
up there as well. Dave and Appelli speak with uh, Billy Bremner there as well, yeah. So they're all there, mate, yeah. Happy days. What a photo. You want to see it? I'd love to see it. It'll take two seconds. Can you see that goal? That is some photo. Dave and Appelli speak get the ball and the Appelli's there as well. That is outstanding. Yeah, good, isn't it? What a photo to have. I didn't even know that photograph was available. I just got a parcel one day from my cousin. He says, here, what do you think of that? I said, oh, thank you, mate. So he sent me that. It's fabulous. Good wow. present. You've held on to the famous jersey, but anything else from down the years? What have I got? Well, I've got the Scottish caps, obviously, but I've got... No, I think the, the biggest thing I've got is uh, I've got a bat signed by Sir Don Bradman. I've got a boxing glove signed by Muhammad Ali. Mm, that's a bit, I think, mate. No, not, not a great memorabilia person. The bits you've got, they're special. Yeah, of course they are. Yeah, of course they are. But, uh, uh, of course, the championship medal, that's tucked away somewhere. Uh, I don't know what that is. I think my wife, my wife hides that away somewhere. I've got the yellow jersey from Tyne Castle. Uh, and that's it. I've still got my, my boots. I finished at West Ham with 40 years ago. That'll do me. It was delightful to spend time in the company of Bobby Ferguson one of the exclusive club of Kilmarnock League winners. My sincere thanks to him. The interview was recorded by video call in May 2020, with Bobby dialing in from Australia, his home for 40 years. Thank you also to Kilmarnock FC historian John Livingston for his detailed research. The theme music, Clear Progress, by scottholmesmusic.com is used under free Creative Commons licence. See you next time. Back then, I mean, uh, I remember one game I got. It was, I was only a friend. It was a, it was a testimonial match, that's right. And Derek Dugan, the big Irish gentleman forward, he, he took me and the ball into the back of the net. And I, <laughs> the referee gave a goal, and I thought, okay, uh, might not try to catch it anymore now, but you learn from that. So I, I, we weren't protected, man, but you, you, you got a few, you gave a few. so. You, you know, kicked a few in the back of the leg as you're jumping up and it's, it's a tip of tat. Was it a job or was it or was it something more? That's a job, man. Total job. It's a good job. <laughs> it's something we all wanted to do because we'll be, you know, I think every kid who plays football wants to play, you know, as best they can for the country and everything else. And uh, it, was, it was brilliant, no, uh, but it's still it's the same thing. You still got to go to work on a Monday morning and you still got to be fit to play on Saturday. You got to make sure your life and your home life is conducive to getting you fit to play for Saturday. Well, you can't go into the booze on Friday night or two or any of that stuff, you know. But it's, a, it's a job, mate, but it's a damn good job. I'd love to try it again, believe me. <laughs> I wish I was 15 again and gone, gone through it again. I think a lot of Kilmarnock fans would share the same <laughs> the same feeling. <laughs> oh, that'd be nice of them, mate. That'd be good.
Watson clearing. McAnally. Well, I don't know how long this game's going to go on. It's played well overdue by me. A great save. Magnificent save by Ferguson. Willie Waddle has gone mad. He's running onto the field. That is Willie Waddle. Right on he goes.